Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zivyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20. Capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Bethany C. Morrow is the author of Cherish, Farah, a novel. 
She is a national best-selling author writing for adult and young adult audiences and is the author of the novels Mem, A Song Below Water, A Chorus Rises, So Many Beginnings, A Little Women Remix, and Cherish Fair. Welcome, Bethany. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Cherish Farah. Thank you so much for having me. I commented on this a minute ago, but when I just casually picked up the book, you got this beaming smile when you saw it, which is so cute. I love that. (laughs) I love my brain babies. (laughs) Brain babies. That's a nice way. Rebrand of books, you know. Little capsules of our brains. You know, would you like to see my brain? I don't know. <laughs> okay, what is Cherish Farah about? Please tell listeners. Okay, so there are parts of Cherish Farah that are difficult to talk about without giving spoilers. So what I say Cherish Farah is about is primarily a 17-year-old girl named Farah who is very obviously not a typical teenager. And she has, uh, she is one of two black girls in a country club community, but she's the only one with black parents. Her best friend, Cherish, who she's been friends with ever since ostensibly they came into this community and went to the academy is named Cherish. And she has been adopted by white parents. So she's a transracial adoptee. And something that Farrah notices pretty immediately is that Cherish has this, what she calls void, which is that she's been coddled to the point of incompetence, according to Farrah, of course. And she knows that because of that, she is able uniquely to fill that void. She's pretty much the only person who could fill that void because of what Cherish is lacking and because of what she's lacking in terms of community. Her parents are these very sort of progressive, very socially aware white parents who make it really clear that they're being intentional about raising a Black daughter. They make sure she has a Black pediatrician and a Black orthodontist and that sort of thing. But what they're missing is community. And so Farah is really her only, her only actual community. And it's basically about someone who believes that she is always in control, but also possibly always thinks everyone is like she is, is trying to, I don't want to say she's paranoid because every time you think something strange, it doesn't make you wrong, but, um, (laughs) but you you know, she believes because she is always playing chess. She, she believes that everyone who is capable is also doing the same. And of course, there's a couple of people that she does not think are even capable of playing on her level. And that is why the whole story happens. (laughs) I love that you said that about paranoia because things really happen. I feel the same way about anxiety. It's like just, you know, because I worry, I mean, the things really do happen. So that doesn't make it anxiety. Right. Don't diminish it. Right. Forward thinking. Preparation, if you will. (laughs) So it's the same thing. I know you had this expression about or this passage about how how basically she's like a a spoiled white girl, but she's not white, and how you can be a spoiled white girl inside, right? Even though on the exterior, you are not. And of course, being spoiled in any race is not a good thing, right? <laughs> but particularly not when you're when when you feel estranged from a community, as you as you said. Which, by the way, I feel like is the, the secret to really everything, right? In any, mm-hmm. like, yeah. if you have community, you can get through anything. Yeah, um, and, so and there's also there's also communities that you cannot. You cannot join and you can't even be let into. A couple yeah. of people can't can't give you entry into it. So obviously when you're dealing with whiteness, we're, we're dealing, particularly from an American perspective, we're not dealing with a heritage. We're not dealing with a culture. We're dealing with a conglomeration of power. And so the reason that Farah 
The thing that Farah knows that Cherish doesn't know is why it's a silly thing to say because it's not possible. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not black is the same as white. It's how you're treated. It's not what you are. It's a social construct, and therefore there is no way to be white girl spoiled when you're a black girl unless your parents create this really nice little bubble and then what happens if you ever burst it? I mean, that's a great elevator pitch. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Good job. Where did this where did this come from? Where did this novel come from? How did you where, what you know, where yeah, where did it come from? So, every novel, I mean, you know, when any time and I know we all know this when we're talking about books because we know that books even if they have a germ or sort of like a seed, a seed does not create a story. It doesn't create a whole world of a novel. It doesn't create fully fleshed out characters. Usually, sometimes it does. Um, <laughs> uh, when it's really high concept, it can. But with with Cherish Farah, my agent actually said she would love to see something in a certain vein for me. And as soon as she said it, I was like, no, because I'm contrary. And, and I, don't, I don't, I'm not a short order cook. So like, I don't, I don't like, oh, you would like a book about such and such. Let me do it. So of course I said no. And then I mean, she just has to be like <laughs> super duper, she has to be like super duper patient all the time and just like count down from when I say no about something, because if, if my brain sparks, here's the thing, I have a knee jerk sort of like no reaction, but I'm also not married to like, I'm willing to say like, oh no, I was absolutely wrong about that. Just kidding. I'm going to do it. And I, and I had a concept that has been fascinating me since I was a child, which is a book that actually is in this book. And as soon as I knew that that was the vehicle, it was like, oh no, I have to do this now. Of course, of course I'm going to do this. And that's, of course, that's the, because this is a social horror or a thriller, um, that's sort of the twist, but the rest of the story, you know, comes from Farah herself. And for me, it when you have social horror sometimes, or the social horror that that the majority of America is most familiar with, you tend to have almost a uh, blank slate character of a main character because you're potentially trying to balance all of the stereotypes and anti-blackness that our entire society, you know, is is seeped in. And so I can understand saying, okay, I'm going to make a blank slate character. There's no way you could dislike this this person. They have clearly done nothing wrong. It should make it really easy to see the commentary and to see the incisive like, you know, dialogue and stuff that we're having. But that's not liberation to me. We there's no such thing as a perfect victim and where white supremacy is concerned it doesn't matter who i am it doesn't matter what i do i couldn't be the problem i could not be the problem when it comes to white supremacy so i was tired of that sort of facile conversation where we have to start from a place first of going along with white supremacy and sort of like defending the identity of black people and defending the veracity of like their concerns and their ability to to be harmed by something that we know is systemic. So I was like, what if the person that is this is happening to is also a terror? Are you going to be confused? Like, are you right. are, are you going to be able to parse this story if she is herself a problem because it very early on it should be pretty evident that she is a problem and what does that mean and 
then who do you trust? And basically what happens when they change their minds, which is my dedication. It's a it's an excerpt from Langston Hughes' poem, Warning. I can read it if you like. Yes. I do have it right here. Be- not be- Beware the day they change their minds. Yes. Yeah. And if you, if you haven't read the context of that poem, I encourage you to go look up Langston Hughes' Warning. It's really good. <laughs> I'm going to do it right now for everyone. <laughs> She's going to do the work for everyone. I'm going to do the work. It's very short, so yeah. I can read it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Langston Hughes. I hope this is okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> Warning. Negroes, sweet and docile, meek, humble, and kind. Beware the day they change their mind. Wind in the cotton fields, gentle breeze. Beware the hour it uproots trees. Oh, it's good. Do you not love it? I love it. <laughs> I I love it. Yeah. That's I cool. had another, I had a, a different dedication. And I remember like sitting straight up and being like, phone, phone, phone. And I had to email my team and like, scratch that. Here's the new one. And I love the fact that, you know, I have to like reply all to like a group of people. And I got like three emails directly to me back to back. And we're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I was like, right. <laughs> really powerful. Really yeah. powerful. Amazing. Two things. One, I've never heard the expression social horror as a genre. I don't know. Am I living under a rock? Is that the new term? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that I think that it's definitely a word that or a phrase that has been in use. I don't know how in use it has been outside of the Black community, the Black artistic community and the Black readership uh, community, honestly. But it's specifically, of course, a type of horror that has to do with the world that we live in, the institutions in the world that we live in. And the reason that I love social horror is because it's demanding of the reader, it uh, it doesn't allow for you to partake if you're still going to hold on to your delusions. If you don't know, if you pretend not to know what's going on in this country, I won't even speak to obviously what has recently happened because we don't have that kind of time and I don't have that kind of bandwidth. But if you try to pretend that you don't know the identity of this nation and what it has done to Black Americans on top of everybody else, I mean, not at all to... to ignore what's happening, especially to Asian Americans right now, to Indigenous Americans right now, to trans Americans right now. If you try to pretend that you don't see those things, you are not the audience for social horror because it's constantly forcing you to admit knowledge of something in order to understand a story. Okay. Noted. I like it. Excellent. I will start using that phrase. Thank you. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I don't like the fact that there has to be that phrase or that course, type of course. work. You know what I mean? I hope. That reality is such yes, a terror. Exactly. Can, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like truth is stranger than fiction kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Also, you briefly said you were a huge contrarian. What do you mean? Give me some examples, please. I want some juicy oh, ones. Yeah, I feel like so. I, I this book was chosen for Bellatrist and Book Club's April selection, and I I remember saying it at some point in our conversation, which of course they used in in some of the footage, and it's. You know, I'm I'm being sort of sort of a little bit of a joke, of course, because I don't think of myself as contrarian. I just, as a former student of sociology, I am not a direct result of my sociological training, and therefore, I'm not going to just go along with something or agree to something or even have a simple on the surface conversation if something is said that clearly is problematic or something like that, right? So I am more so, you know, everyone wants to call themselves independent thinkers and those words have like ceased to mean anything at this point because it really usually just means I'm seeking out evidence to confirm my pre-existing bias. But for me, a contrarian in, in this sort of society, particularly a society like the United States, which is founded on so much trauma and so much hostility and so much anger and so much, you know, just evil, a contrarian could really mean anything in that context. For me, it means I am going to love at a capacity that doesn't match doesn't match the society that that raised me. I'm going to identify, be able to love and have compassion and empathy for individual people, despite you know I'm, I'm not going to be forced into into certain types of dynamics. I'm also not going to deny what I. See. I'm not going to suddenly act like things like racist or something are, are debates and somebody can just say that they're not something that they clearly are invested in. But I personally, you know, if you look at my family, if you look at my my former spouse, who I just I was running back to this because he called me this morning and it's, he was having car trouble. So I had to dash out and get him my car and then have him drop me back off here. And it shouldn't matter. And I shouldn't have to talk about it. But, you know, since we have laws that are since we're going down a road where people are very clearly trying to undo things like like loving, like the loving case, like women's rights and, and that sort of thing. And it very obviously has to do with these sort of white supremacist fantasies, which always have to do with the subjugation of blackness it could eventually be a problem that my son is biracial, that my former husband is white American. And a lot of people will try to tell you what you have to believe and how you have to feel about everyone if you identify something. And I say, of course, that I'm talking about an institution. I'm talking about an institution of power that has to be dismantled. Anybody who wants to dismantle it can. Anyone who wants to be involved in, in ending this can end it. And I'm not 
And I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm never going to apologize for my family. I'm never going to apologize for how I feel. And I, they're only my family, of course, because they come alongside and know all the things that I know and understand and, and appreciate reality for what it is and are supportive of all of my work and our family, family is family. And a contrarian in, in this country, honestly, could be anything. It could be somebody as benign as someone who loves someone they're not supposed to. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a juicy example of something there we go I love forcibly it forcibly on my mind yes I bet yeah I mean yeah. it's not fair if I mean I feel everyone needs to leave family out of out of everything it's my two cents on it but I'm just gonna throw that out there you would think you would think tell me about writing this novel how long like tell me when and did it just fly out of you after you hit on this idea that this is the way you wanted to tell the story how long like do you have a What's your whole, give me the whole writing spiel. Oh gosh. I mean, I can't give you the whole writing thing because it's totally different. I'm writing something right now that I am fully, fully, I want to say pantsing, but my friend Danielle Clayton says, what is it? Headlights, headlights plotting. So Mm. literally just, I plot a scene and then I write that scene. I can't like, I am saying I can't, I, I can't plot out a book because at that point, why didn't I just write it? What are we doing? Why are we wasting time here? Um, which is funny because I did end up at a certain point with Cherish Fair, I ended up writing an entire synopsis because we sold it as a partial. So I, I did write out exactly what was going to happen for the whole second half of the book before I ever wrote it. And then I had to go away from it because I was actually writing so many beginnings, which came out uh, the September before Cherish Farrah. And I know that I had to have written it. The first chunk of Cherish Farrah was written in 2020, right after or around the time that A Song of the Water was coming out, my, my uh, young adult contemporary fantasy. And because of who Farah is and because Farah really is the story and particularly the story that carries you to the real story, the story that you know before you get to the story. It was really interesting writing her. I will say she was simultaneously the easiest person I've ever written and also the most difficult because I kept being like, what's, what is she doing? Why are you doing this? Who, why are you doing this? It was like, she kept making things more complicated than they needed to be. <laughs> Because she kept like believe, you know, she would like work a situation out in three different directions. And it's like they literally said good morning. Like, please, please try to come down, have some chill. So I with my with my critique partner, Amy Suter Clark, like I kept sending her chunks as I do. I write and I send her stuff. I don't know. Some people say that writing is a solitary experience. It has literally never been for me. All of my first books were written for like sort of group consumption. I would write chapters and then my sisters and uh, one of my sister's friends would read it. We would all sit around the computer and then they would just read it out loud. So I was all, so at that time I kind of was a short order cook. Like I was sort of writing to specifically like, okay, what do you want to see happen? <laughs> but so it's always, you know, it's always been sort of a social, a social thing for me writing. So I wrote chunks and I would send it to her every day that I finished writing. And it would always just be like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but this is what's happening. <laughs> it was just feeling very, uh, it's very difficult to be close to Farah for any long period of time. <laughs> She's a strange person to be that claustrophobically close to. And of course, because it's 
you know, from her perspective and it's her interior thought process, you cannot escape her. So it was, it was a very interesting writing experience. (laughs) And tell me about being chosen for Bellatrice and book clubs and all of that. Like, what was that like for you? And, you know, what, who did you meet that was interesting as a result and that whole thing? Well, I mean, I love Bellatrice. They have really been supportive I know they read, I know they read Mim. I don't think that we connected when they read Mim, which was my my first novel. It's um, uh, another adult speculative literary, also like, you know, science fiction, alternate history type of deal. And I know they had read that, but I think I found that out when I came on to do um, an interview for A Song Below Water. So sometime in either 2019 or 2020. And I met Kara at that point and we just had the most absolutely amazing conversation. And then of course, you know, I just kept seeing them posting about either A Song Below Water or Mem, which is just really awesome. And I love the way that they talk about literature. I love the conversation. It's something that I feel like we're at risk of losing if we don't create these and don't continue having these really intentional settings to do the work of of a really critical engagement with literature. And it's wonderful to just read books and love books. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But for me as an author, speaking to somebody who can speak about all of the different layers of of the of the novel and can also sort of extrapolate their own thoughts and can go off on tangents and can, you know, that to me is is why I do interviews and podcasts and that sort of thing. I I love having those types of conversations and the types of reviews that I love have to have some, have to have some critique. Like you don't have to make something up, but I, but I, it's just for me seeing someone engage with the work that I labored over for me is always going to have a very different feeling than someone who just gushes, which I love that. I love if someone enjoyed and can't think of anything. I've done that before, but I will say the times that I have like gushed over something and could see no flaw with it, usually with time, I realized that I was totally hoodwinked. I'll give you one example. I don't know if everyone has seen Tron Legacy, but the music, the entire score was done by Daft Punk. So suffice it to say, and Jeff Bridges is in it, right? Of course. So just suffice it to say, I thought the movie was without error because of those two things. And after a couple more watches, it was like, oh, okay. So it was really Daft Punk, I think, that I was <laughs> that I was responding to. So be- I, I, maybe I'm projecting, but because I've had those kind of experiences where the inability to critically assess something usually meant that I was just having a completely emotional reaction. <laughs> I just have a lot of respect for the real work of, of critique, of literary critique. I think it's so important. And there are so many people who are doing just absolutely amazing. There's nothing better than reading a really thorough and really like the scholarship of a criticism where they're talking to you about the author, the author's journey. They're looking for the meaning that the author injected into their work. I think that's really, that's really, really important. And having conversations with Bellatrice always allows for that sort of discussion. So I just, I always really enjoy spending time with them. Amazing. Do you have any parting advice for aspiring authors? Oh goodness. I feel like I, I usually don't have a lot of the kind of advice I think that that most people are looking for or giving because I think, especially with my own career, it's like you, I, the most important thing is you have to know 
what you do and why you do it and what you want to do. I got so much advice that I completely disregarded. I mean, from, from professionals, from industry professionals as well. And it's not, I guess, balance it with doing your due diligence, research, know the industry that you're getting into is an industry and there are things that you need to know. And once you've done that, you need to know yourself and your work and your goals that well as well. Because you need to be able, this is where art intersects with business, and you need to know what's on the table and what's not on the table, what's negotiable and what's not negotiable. And if you don't know that coming into this sort of industry, that's going to be a, that's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem uh, for you because people are not you know, really dedicated to mining that information and figuring it out for themselves. Everybody has something they're trying to get accomplished. So know thyself. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's great. Excellent. Bethany, thank you so much. Thank you for your passion and how articulate you are about the issues that you're obviously just thinking so critically about and that are so important to be thinking critically about and being able to communicate it and sort of, you know, really rally the troops with your your ardor and force. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And for that poem, which will give me the chills the rest of the day. Yes. Is it not? Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. Thank you so much for having All me. All right. Thanks for coming on. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.